This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman comics from a humanist perspective and examines real life through the lens of a Superman fan. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 94. Truth and justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. This week, we're going to be talking about Justice League, No Justice number two, and Bendis' Man of Steel number one. And we'll get to those in a few minutes. But before we get to the Fortress of Solitude segment for this episode, I have a favor to ask. So, um, the feedback that I've gotten on the Fortress of Solitude segment has been 100% positive. And for every one of you that's given me feedback on that, I really, really appreciate it. It helps me know that what I'm doing on this segment matters. But statistically speaking, there's going to be you know, at least one person, if not a small handful, that skip past this segment altogether. Because some people, they, they just want to talk about comics. Maybe they are... Maybe, you know, they agree with me ethically on things Superman-related, but they just aren't necessarily aligned with me politically, or they've just got so much going on, they just want some escapism, and I get that. But the favor I ask of you is that if you are one of those people who skips this segment, that you don't this episode, that you listen to this, and that you hear what I have to say. Um... And I apologize ahead of time for breaking the format of this segment. Uh, those of you who listen to the show for a long time know that I like to start out by saying, well, here's a thing about Superman, and here's how this thing relates to real life. And I had this whole segment planned that was going to talk about how Superman is nice and is, you know, is, is friendly and is just good to people, and I was going to segue that into just how heartwarming it is that almost everyone we've met uh, in the town that we just moved to is super friendly and super nice. And I was going to segue from there into, you know, like being nice to your neighbors and how uh, that goes globally as well as locally and how Trump is basically planning to do a global racketeering scam on NATO if he is reelected and will give Russia the go-ahead to attack our NATO allies if they don't basically pay us protection money. But I'm not going to do that. Um, because something came up in the news that has caught my attention um, with, uh, with outrage. And I want to talk about that. And my normal format feels a little too cute um, for this topic. It is kind of heavy. Um, you can probably tell from my tone of voice now, my tone of voice when I did the intro, and uh, this segment does revolve around uh, violence, uh, specifically violence against children. So if you absolutely cannot stand to hear that, I understand, but if you can, if you can handle it, I ask that you listen. And what I want to talk about is Nex Benedict. Um, that's 
nex, N-E-X. It's not next. It's not eggs, Benedict, like the, um, like right-wing media has already started dubbing them. But Nex was a non-binary student in Owasso, Oklahoma, who went to Owasso High School. And um, because Nex was born, uh, assigned uh, female at birth, um, and because the, the legislature of, of Oklahoma um, wrote a bill that was signed into law by the governor of Arizona requiring students to use the bathroom of their birth gender assignment. Next was required to use the girls' room. And because they did this um, in the last week or so, Next was jumped by three older girls in the restroom and had her head, excuse me, had their head repeatedly slammed against the bathroom floor. Now, the teacher who discovered this um, and who realized that Nex could not walk to the principal's office under their own power, who had to help Nex walk to the principal's office, did not call 911, did not call for an ambulance. The principal did not call for an ambulance. Instead, the Nex's uh, parents were called. Nex's parents came out to the school. At which point, Nex's parents were informed that Nex was being suspended from school from inciting a fight. Now, whether or not the other the the three girls who attacked Nex um, were disciplined, I do not have that information. That has not been in any of the stories that I felt that I have found. Um, but Nex went home and uh, made a video documenting the nature of the attack and next day uh the following day next died now and the owasso police department has declined to do a criminal investigation on this incident um as recently as last friday they determined uh the the police department determined that Nex's death was not caused by trauma. Although, as of this past Saturday, as I'm recording this, Nex's autopsy and toxicology have not been released yet. So I don't know what they're basing that information on. Now, um, I, even though I worked for a law enforcement agency, I was not an investigator. I was a jail person. I was who you dealt with while your case was being investigated. Um, so I do not know investigative techniques, um, but, and I am for legal purposes, I want to state that I am not accusing the police department of Owasso County of mismanaging this case. Um, but I am saying that it looks suspicious. It, it gives the impression of them not taking this seriously. Um, at a press conference, to answer questions revolving around Nex's death. A uh, Oklahoma senator referred to trans and non-binary people as filth and said that they did not want, that they were not welcome in the state. That was their response 
to the death of a non-binary child. I've heard, I've, in some of the stories that I've read about this, Nex also identified as trans. And some of them I read, Nex only identified as non-binary. I do not have all the, all the full details on that. And I do not claim to understand how all that works. And it's not my problem. And it's none of my business how, how being both trans and non-binary works. Because what concerns me is that this was a child. And this was a vulnerable child. And I've said um, that every month this year, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a Fortress of Solitude segment. This is a call to action to remind you why it's important to vote. And yeah, the Trump story I was going to talk about was a good reason to vote nationally. Um, but I felt like this is more important. Uh, one, because it involves a child. It involves a child whose death could have been avoided. Um, again, again, I don't know if I, I from what I, from what I assume, based on the fact that the police department is not taking this, uh, doesn't seem to be taking this particularly seriously. I don't think the, the three girls who attacked next are being criminally investigated. Um, I don't know. Um, but you know, beyond that, the, the larger fault in this, um, lies at the hands of the Oklahoma governor in the Oklahoma legislature. And this is why it's important for you to vote. And again, not just nationally. Don't just go to the polls in November or October if you go vote early. Um, don't just check the, the president box and move on. Go all the way down. Do your research ahead of time. Find out who your state level candidates are and find out what they stand for and what their platforms are. Find out who your local candidates are and what their platforms are and what they're and what they plan to do when they get in office. Because uh if if Nex's death isn't fully investigated, if it's if it's written off as something less than it is it's a violation of both truth and a violation of justice. And those things are obviously important to me. They're part of the name of the show. And I, I sound down and it's, it's, it's not that, you know, yes, this unsettles me, but I have, I, I have the third tier of that philosophy on my side. I have hope. I, I believe that we will do better. And that's on all of us. We all need to make sure that things get better, that homophobic, transphobic, xenophobic, racist, misogynistic candidates are, are kept from office or are removed from office through our electoral process. We all have the power to do something about this, and we all need to use that power. Now... These are my thoughts on this subject. I thank you very much for letting me share them. Let's all go take a deep breath and go talk about some Superman comics. Thanks, and I love you. Before we move on, I want to apologize for the background noise in the last segment. Um, since we moved in, I've been trying to find just the right place in our new house 
where I won't be a distraction to anyone else and where I also won't be near any equipment. And apparently I was just too close to the well pump in our house. Uh, that So that ticking, hissing noise you heard in the background section, that that's not you. Uh, it's not the recording. It is actual, uh, actual stuff going on in the background, which I did not notice until I listened back to it. But I did like the way the segment turned out in general, so I am not going to delete and re-record it because I, I thought it turned out pretty good. But uh, let us move on, and we are going to start the comic book coverage this episode with Justice League No Justice number two. This issue was released May, uh, May 16th of 2018. It was written by the team of Scott Snyder, James Tinian, and Joshua Williamson, which is, a, again, just a heck of a team. Um, Francis Manipal and Marcus Toe are the artists. I'm guessing Manipal, uh, was the, I don't know. I think Manipal is the sole penciler in this. Maybe Toe did the inks. I'm not sure. Uh, but we'll, we'll see as we go through. Hi-Fi does the colors and world design does the letters and, uh, Francis Manipal did the cover. And that cover is a wraparound that features uh, what we now know as Team Entropy of the four teams that were assembled and divided up by Brainiac, which has Batman in the front, Deathstroke, Lobo, Lex in a suit of battle armor, and Beast Boy. And they're all wearing these kind of purple-themed outfits that Brainiac has very creepily placed them in. And I know it's been uh, quite a few weeks since we've talked about this series, uh, both in terms of episodes and in real time. So real quick recap, um, if it is possible to do that with this series. So there are, there are these things called the Omega Titans, which are a cross between Galactus and the Celestials. There are four of them. They each represent uh, one of four cosmic energies entropy mystery wonder and uh i forget the other one but we'll, we'll get to it when we get to it oh wisdom um and they go around to different planets and they plant a, each of them plants the seed that resonates with their particular energy and eventually that seed grows into a tree that is composed of that energy and whatever of the four energies resonates most strongly with that planet is the tree that grows the strongest. And then, so that tree then attracts that corresponding Omega Titan back to the planet and the Omega Titans eat the planet or that particular Omega Titan eats the planet. And Brainiac discovered that, uh, that the seeds planted on his planet of Kolu had blossomed or were about to blossom, which was going to attract the Omega Titans. So Brainiac kidnapped a bunch of heroes and ostensibly anti-heroes slash anti-villains together or people who are, are now... Uh, considered a villain, but were considered anti-heroes at a time. 
uh, together, split them up into four different teams with the instruction, if you do everything I say to the letter, you can save my planet, because if you don't save my planet, I'm going to make sure the Omega Titans come to Earth next and eat it. However, due to Amanda Waller's uh, machinations, Brainiac's head exploded, which now leaves these four teams on their own trying to figure out how to save Kolu. And uh, we open with Amanda Waller in the Arctic on her way to the Fortress of Solitude. It says she's three miles away from the Fortress of Solitude, and she's arguing with Sam Lane, who's trying to get her, uh, who has her on the intercom, has her on the communicator, trying to get her to go back. And she's like, no, I know what I'm doing. He says, don't make me send a super team after you. She says, you don't think I have contingencies in place to disable any super team that comes after me. And so uh, General Lane says, fine, you have an hour. Amanda gets out of her giant snowcat vehicle, at which point an arrow lands at her feet, and we see Green Arrow jumping out of a snowbank in his regular costume, but with just a big fuzzy white cape, uh, hooded cape. It's the, I don't know how the hood would work on this thing, because it shows like the hood kind of falling back down over his quiver, but it's still a cool look, and he is demanding to know where the hell is the Justice League. And I really like this look. This is about the time I started thinking that Green Arrow was kind of cool because if you guys know me by now, you know I have an affection for Arctic adventure stories and action figure variations and all stuff like that, going all the way back to uh, G.I. Joe in the early 80s. I was never much of a G.I. Joe fan, but I really thought Snow Job looked cool. And I had the Snow Job figure and I had the Snow Cat vehicle and all that stuff. And Every time another Arctic variation of a Cobra or a G.I. Joe would come out. And I had the, like, Arctic Assault Cable action figure from Toy Biz. And, um, like, Ice Armor He-Man and all that kind of stuff. So I just thought that was neat. Um, now, what isn't elaborated here yet, uh, which I should have put in the flashback, is that all the other heroes and villains on Earth have been put into a coma by Brainiac. So the only the heroes who have been kidnapped by Brainiac uh, can save the day. How Green Arrow escaped that, I don't know. Maybe because he doesn't have superpowers. Uh, maybe Brainiac figured he didn't count. Maybe, I don't think Green Arrow had a book at this point. I think it, his book had just gotten canceled prior to this. So maybe that was it. Maybe that was just DC's way of saying Green Arrow slipped under the radar because he doesn't have a book right now. But we go from the Arctic to Planet Kolu, where one of the Omega Titans, I assume the one associated with Wisdom, is stomping his way across the planet. And the various heroes and villains have teleported down. And because... Their costumes now all contain Brainiac technology, and because Brainiac is the arts number one criminal of Planet Kolu, the planet security systems are all aligned against them. Everybody's being attacked by Koluan security droids. Um, and while they're fighting Harley Quinn, who was lumped in with the heroes, and I, I mentioned this last time we talked about this book, I still think it's a little weird 
that she's fully accepted as a hero in the DC universe, but by now I kind of like it just because my daughter's a massive Harley fan and it's hard being a lawful good dad with a chaotic, chaotic neutral daughter, but we, we love our children and we accept them and my child loves Harley Quinn, therefore I have come to appreciate Harley Quinn much, much more than I have basically since she was on the animated series back in the 90s. But we see that the wisdom seed has sprouted this giant tree, the tree of wisdom, which Cyborg scans and says it's not a real tree. It's made out of information and is broadcasting assist, uh, a signal. And again, it is drawing the wisdom titan to the planet. And so everybody begins arguing about how they're going to fix this. And, you know, Batman steps up and says, look, we need to, we, we need to split up. Uh, one of us will go one way, the other one will go the other way. And, you know, Lobo says he doesn't care as long as he gets to stick his hook in something. And, uh, but Lex gets everybody to listen. He says, like it or not, Brainiac was the smartest being ever to live. The next smartest, but beside myself, all lived here on Kolu. And they're running for their lives like frightened children. As much as it pains me to say it, the lot of us, we don't come close to measuring up. We aren't going to solve this with our wits and will. Our best chance of survival is to follow the plan Brainiac set. The nodes in our costumes are drawing us to the four energy poles. Brainiac told us that we need to restart the three dying energies to counteract wisdom's power over the planet. So we need to get in the teams he organized and figure out how to save this planet. And, you know, Superman and Batman are like, uh, you know, I don't like... I don't like listening to Lex, but at least there's one Justice League member on each team. I can live with that. Robin argues with Batman, says you're not seriously you know, considering this. And Batman says enough. He's right. This is a plane we need to go with for now. And again, if... Oops, sorry. I keep forgetting. I don't have my microphone right now. So <laughs> sorry, if I, if I keep moving my phone back and forth away from my mouth like this, it's, it's not on purpose. It's um, I'm out of habit. I... My, I am having uh, so many struggles with some of my equipment right now that I'm back to just holding the phone kind of sort of close to my face. But again, uh, wisdom is the energy that is strongest on Kolu because they're a knowledge planet. They're, in, they're, they're an intellect planet. So the other three energies are, are not decaying, but they're, they're withering. So the plan is find the other three seeds wake them up, activate their trees, and maybe if we can balance all four energies, then none of the Omega Titans will show up and eat the planet. Which is, you know, a dicey plan, but, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. So, back in the Arctic, on Earth, Green Arrow says he, he figured she had, that Amanda Waller had something to do with this when every device in the Queen Industries satellite exploded and he traced the signal to the blackout zone surrounding Waller. And so uh, Waller's like, look, if you're gonna stand there pointing an arrow at me and demanding answers that I'm not gonna give you, just go ahead and shoot me. And which kind of startles Green Arrow enough for her to launch like a, a taser bolo at him, which is pretty fun. And she says, after the invasion of the Dark Multiverse, the Justice League informed the government that in the battle, they'd broken the source wall. Our intelligence officers had no idea there even was a wall at the edge of the universe until your friends broke it. 
I had to know what else were they keeping from us. And I would argue that we, the readers, didn't know that the source wall had been been broken until this series went out of its way to explain it because the the uh, the finale of Metal didn't really do a good job explaining that. Uh, and Amanda goes on to say that when Brainiac invaded American soil, she gathered the world's most powerful psychics and ripped every piece of data from his head, which, again, caused his head to explode. But, uh, uh, but Waller isn't sharing that bit of information right now. And we get a little more exposition about how Brainiac blackmailed the heroes into helping. Uh, at which point, Green Arrow informs Waller that there are no other heroes available to help. We see that it's not because Green Arrow doesn't have powers that he's not in a coma, because we see Nightwing in a coma too. Um, but again, I guess he just slipped under Brainiac's radar. I don't know. But uh, Waller and Green Arrow are going to team up. And Waller says they need, need to dig up Earth's dormant cosmic seed. Uh, which hopefully they'll know when they see it. So the four teams split up. Everybody in the purple armor goes to the Tree of Entropy, which is over a a massive prison that is underground. It's called the Ultra Penitence. And Lobo says that he fragged a few guys that have been there. There's some nasty characters inside. And uh, Lex says that this particular tree feeds on chaos, so they are going to release some of the universe's most dangerous criminals to give the tree more chaos. Um, the team uh, with Wonder Woman on it, which consists of her, Dr. Fate, Raven, Zatanna, and Etrigan, um, I would say that Batman and Lex's team is kind of gray and purple. Wonder Woman's is yellow and purple. And uh, they all... The team Wonder... Exposits that their tree is desiccated. That their their the planet Kolu has so turned away from anything to do with magic or religion or anything like that that the tree itself is barren, and so they need to find a way to wake the tree. Superman's team, which is Team Mystery, which has kind of a uh, red and purple, I guess which again is Superman, Sinestro, Martian Manhunter, Starfire, and Starro. They are over this thing. It's, it's a huge barrier. It's a huge bubble. So whatever's behind it is a mystery. And then um, Cyborg's team, which is uh, Cyborg, Flash, Damien, and Harley. And there's this kind of a red and black theme. Um, you know, which wasn't much of a stretch for Harley to begin with. So it's neat that they, they, they were able to actually just about everybody on this team, except for Cyborg has a lot of red in their costume. So Cyborg is the only one that really sticks out. Um, and they are still at the tree of wisdom, trying to find a way to depower it somehow. Um, but then the, um, they, they're basically, their plan is to kind of take down Kolu's version of the internet. Kind of shut, shut down the planetary information network. And as soon as they mention this, these kind of holographic robots show up. And they say, you will not disturb the central intelligence of Kolu. 
and they get attacked. Uh, Batman's team gets attacked by security drones. A bunch of ghosts come out of the ground uh, and start attacking Wonder Woman's team. And these other security drones that kind of resemble the 90s Brainiac's purple skull ship uh, come up and start attacking Superman's team. Everybody starts fighting back. Um, Superman and Sinestro and Starfire are all arguing because Sinestro says, if everyone would just listen to me, this wouldn't be a problem. Starfire says, I'll never listen to a tyrant like you. Superman's arguing with both of them, telling them to shut up, basically. And But then everybody calms down. And um, the Martian Mayhunter says, I calmed your mind. All of you, all of your minds forgive me, but you must listen. Starro, you are the most powerful telepath in the galaxy. Amplify my power so I might convey a message to our friends. Um, uh, Martian Manhunter goes on and says, Teams, hear me. I know our prospects look grim, but this right here is how we lose. We broke the source wall. Us. What? Mm. Jean was not present when that happened. Jean was not even on the Justice League. Jean, Jean hasn't been on the Justice League since before the new 50, the adventures of the new 52 Justice League started. Um, so I, th I think he just means the superhuman community. But he goes on to say, we're facing a challenge here because of the, the challenge we're facing here because of that is entirely new, which means we need to fight in new ways with new allies. Today, we are four new teams, but we are all the Justice League. And we get a close-up of Starro's eye that says, well said. And I think when I when I first read this, what we're going to see with Starro came as kind of jarring. And that's not a pun of even further things to come with Starro. But I think this is the beginning of what we're going to see coming up with Starro very soon. And um, so somehow Starro is able to disable their drones, artificial intelligence minds. Uh, and again, they're at this, they're at this big bubble. They're also this big dome and it's a mystery of what's inside. So they go inside and they find hundreds of shrunken planets where I, and it's not explained why this would be here. I know Brainiac's thing is stealing and shrinking cities. Here we have entire civilizations, uh, planets that were shrunk down and hidden away. And Sinestro says it's enough to make up an entire star system. And Superman says, okay, we've got to cut them loose. And Star was like, are you nuts? That's going to release so much chaos. We'd never be able to do that. But if we did, you know, we would need, they need to be under our jurisdiction because of course Sinestro is all about control. And uh, Martian Manor says, no, we just need to make them free. That's what will release mystery and wonder or I guess mystery and wonder in this case are two different things, but that is what will release mystery back into the universe. Back in the prison planet or the, the underground prison, Batman and Lobo's team are fighting their way through and Beast Boy is wondering why he's on this team. He's not, you know, he's not a, an anti-hero bruiser like everybody else is. And I, I, I have rarely ever liked Lobo. Uh, in my life, I I get that he's he's parody, I get that he's kind of meta satire, but he just comes across as like a big sweaty crotch dude. Um, but 
Um, I liked how he was kind of bonding with Ryan Choi uh, in the previous issue. I I think Ryan's on Team Wisdom because I think he had an all red suit of armor. He's just they just don't always show him when because he's shrunk down and all that. But I like what he does here. He puts his hand on Beast Boy's shoulder and says, "Look, little man, I get it. You're a team guy. You're scared of letting loose." Maybe you're on team crazy because when Deathstroke over there sasses you like that, you might just want to let go. Throw yourself at his one good eye and not give a flying frag what happens. So give in. Give into it. Turn into the scariest damn thing you can think of and throw me at the biggest guy you can see. And so Beast Boy turns into like a cross between a lion and a dinosaur. And he grabs Lobo's chain, one end of Lobo's chain in his mouth and slings rope, uh, Lobo up at one of the security droids. And uh, fragging commences. Uh, but uh, Batman says that, you know, we aren't really making a dent in this. We're fighting our way through the planet, through the, through the prison. But uh, there, our costumes are drawing us to the center. So whatever's in the, whatever's in the heart of this prison must be worse than everyone else. And it's him or them that we need to, to release, to truly release the the entropy and so we get several scenes of you know the various teams fighting their way through either security guards or inmates or ghosts or whatever and at the same time we see on earth that the seed there is already activated and that is when uh amanda waller reveals to green arrow that uh, this is how she can't stop this because she caused the death of Brainiac, who was kind of keeping all of this under control. And back on Kolu, under the prison planet, Team Entropy finally breaks through to the center. And we see that the person being housed in the center of the planet is Vrildox uh, of Legion, who is now calling himself Brainiac 2.0. And, um, I, I don't know, <laughs> uh, I'm kind of lost on this one because he says, did you ever really think there was any hope for Kolo that Brainiac would ever put his faith in Earth's heroes? He may have needed your powers, but his plan required him at every step. The second he died, this planet in yours was doomed. Um, and then he just kind of stands up and, and introduces himself, which I like, I like this book in general. The ending feels anticlimactic to me. Uh, one, I've never read the acronym Legion. I know there are people out there who really like it. Um, I know that that uh, Al Sedano from the um, Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast really likes it. Um, for me, though, it's never hit. Uh, to me, he's always just kind of come across as a, like a manipulative jerk, but never like this... I don't know, greatest threat to the cosmos. Um, so, like, oh, the big reveal is it's the guy from Acronym Legion. I'm like, okay, um, that's interesting. That's a fun callback. But, you know, not... And again, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just because it's something that's never resonated with me. Uh, maybe that's why it falls short. But in general, I really like this issue. Um, it, it It is a majority fighty fight. Uh, which is fine. 
but there's a ton of exposition to go along with it, a lot of explaining what's going on and why it's happening. The thing with the ghosts under the tree, um, you know, they say that it was a like a, a, a religious temple that's been defunct for thousands of years and that the, the ghosts beneath the temple are angry because faith and, and magic and all that has faded on Kolu. Um, that's kind of the least uh, important part of it. But, you know, I really, the, the part with all the shrunken planets down is really cool. It looks really neat. It has all the, you know, wh whenever Brainiac shrinks a planet down, it's always under um, kind of a, a domed cylinder. And so we all have all these planets floating in these domed cylinders. And it's really cool looking. Um, I know that eventually leads into the Justice League Odyssey miniseries, which features Cyborg, Starfire, Jessica Cruz, and Azrael, um, which I started reading and kind of kind of didn't finish. Um, but it is a really cool concept, though. Um, I don't know. I think if it had a character in it that I was like particularly invested in, I probably would have stuck with it more. It's just I'm not particularly invested in any of those characters, but it is still a really neat concept. But you know, all in all, really good book. Um, amazing art. Unfortunately, Manipool is not the artist on the next one. Um, it's a guy named Riley Rosmo, who, or a person named Riley Rosmo, um, I th who I think de uh, did the initial art on uh, or the art on the initial story arc of the current ongoing Harley Quinn series. But, um, which works really well on that book. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong. It's just on this book compared to Manipul, it is, doesn't land as hard, but it's, I'm still looking forward to talking about it with you guys. But, uh, that's it for Justice League No Justice number two. And I need to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. And we will talk about Bendis' Man of Steel, number one. Stay tuned. You guys know that I'm very conscious of my health. I don't eat meat. I don't drink alcohol. I exercise as often as I can. And the next thing on my list to kind of push my health to the next level is cutting out caffeine from my diet. And up until recently, I had been drinking four or more large cups of coffee a day, which did help me get through my day, but was making me a little jittery and was making it hard for me to sleep at night. So reducing my caffeine has been helping, but one downside is I'm a little fuzzy brained in the morning. It's hard for me to get going with my morning routine, but something that's been helping me get over that is Magic Mind. Now Magic Mind contains a lot of natural ingredients like matcha, which helps your body process caffeine more efficiently, ashwagandha, which helps reduce stress and anxiety, and lion's mane mushroom, which is a natural cognitive booster. And one shot of Magic Mind in the morning, in addition to a lesser amount of coffee throughout my day, has really been helping me focus more and just be more awake and more cognitive throughout my morning routine. Magic Mind is now available at Sprouts Farmer's Markets throughout the country. And once you try it, and if you like it, you can go to magicmind.com and you can get 50% off your subscription with the unique code TJH20. Again, that's magicmind.com slash TJH with the code TJH20, 
Magic Mind, give it a shot, and I think you will like the results. Now back to the show. Okay, Man of Steel number one was released May 30th of 2018. It was written by Brian Michael Bendis with pencils by Ivan. I've always said Reese, R-E-I-S. Um, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, if anybody knows better, if they've listened to an interview by him or you know him personally or whatever, or you have the same last name by coincidence, just let me know so I don't continue to make a, um, in, a mistake. Um, Inks have a split duty with Joe Prado doing the majority of them, but Jay Fabok doing the art on pages 21 and 22. Alex Sinclair did the letters and Corey Pettit woohoo, did the letters. If you don't get that joke, you aren't listening to the Snipcast and you should. So go do so because I'm going to keep doing it every time I get a chance. Um, now, before I get into this, I do want to say that I do have mixed feelings about this run. Um, for the most part, I pretty much like it. Toward the end of the run, which we're a ways off from, it it kind of, personally, I feel like it kind of goes off the rails. I think it gets lost in death metal and the build-up to death metal. Um, but it's, I I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people make it out to be. There are some things I do like about it. There are some things I don't like about it. The things I don't like about it are just more endemic to Bendis' writing style, or I should say his dialogue style, than, um, than necessarily the plot elements. There are plot elements in this run that I don't necessarily think were the best choice for the character. Those elements have since been mostly undone. Um, it's an example of not breaking the toys you're playing with, but I don't know. Maybe you swapped out uh, like Luke Skywalker's black jumpsuit for Ken's swim trunks and you just forgot to change, switch them back when you were done playing with them. It's not a big deal to me. Um, there are things go down in this run that have long lasting implications on some of the cast members. If you've read this run, you know what I'm talking about. I am fine with those personally, especially how those, um, those elements were used by later writers. So you may expect me to go into this being negative. I, I don't plan on it. Um, I never go into a run or into an issue planning to to bash it. Largely, if I don't like something, I just don't talk about it. And I say, I don't like this, therefore I'm not going to talk about it and whatever. Um, I may get to the point where I start just skimming this run um, and you know his run in general on both the eponymous Superman title and on Action Comics, um, again, especially toward the end. Um, but for now, we're going to dig into it. We're going to deep dive. Um, we're going to have fun with it. If you have comments on the run, you know, of course, you are always welcome to reach out to me. You know where to find me on social media. You know how to find me an email. I'll reiterate those at the end of the show. Um, but yeah, let's, let's go into this and let's have a good time and let's focus on the pos positive and when we get to things that we don't love, we'll mention them and then we'll move on.
Okay, so the cover of this is Superman in the foreground. In this, it's a, a to return to the classic look that we've been with since Action One Thousand with the with the with the trunks and the red boots and the yellow belt. Um, the only thing that makes this a quote unquote new suit are the sleeve cuffs. They have this kind of banded sleeve cuff. Um, it's it's fine. I actually kind of like that. I think it's a nice touch. It makes it look more. Um, I no, I don't dislike the idea of mom of mom making Clark's suits from hand. Um, I don't dislike it being of Kryptonian origin or having been made in the Fortress of Solitude, whatever. Either way, I'm fine. I just think it looks good. I, I just like the banded cuffs on it. It's fine. And there's a big wave uh, soaring up behind Superman who is, who's got this kind of wry smile on his face. And that wave is being cast by Aquaman, who at this point has both the long hair and the beard like in the 90s, but has both hands and is wearing his traditional costume, holding his trident up in the air just like a 1984 superpowers action figure um and then cyborg and hell jordan are kind of behind aquaman and batman wonder woman and the flash are off to superman's other side and it's a it's a it's a good cover i there's nothing you know super stand out about it but i really like reese's artwork and i i think it looks really good um, there's no variants on this as far as i can tell or if there are they're not they're not mentioned in the credits and they're not shown in the um, on the digital copy, which is what I'm reading from. So the issue starts out many years ago on Krypton. So this is before Krypton's destruction. And we have Rogol Zar, who we were introduced to in Action 1000, speaking to what I initially thought was supposed to be the quintessence um the quintessence is what the specter the phantom stranger uh high father a guardian of the universe and i think one of the greek gods i think in i think in uh uh recent times i think hera is is one of them but this is not them this is holographic representations of one of the guardians um the leader of the Thanagarian people a the leader of the um the 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 race that starfire is from i forget what they are and then the guy who is um more the more or less leader of ran uh adam strange's father-in-law i forget what his name is and they are having like a holographic meeting with rogolzar now again i mentioned that we we met rogolzar in action 1000 he's a big bruiser of a guy he's got grayish white skin he has one red eye and one eye that is blue and pupilless i my assumption is that that eye is supposed to be non-functional he wears a red tunic and um black pants fingerless gloves with kind of forearm straps and a big black cape and he has these kind of like mutton chops that go all the way from his ears all the way down to his chin. They don't quite meet in the middle, like Amish style, but almost. He's bald on top, but he has a long like mullet hanging down behind his bald head. And he's got this 
like oversized mouth with kind of sharp teeth. And in Action 1000, we saw that the right side of his face was scarred, um, which is where I assume that the non-functioning eye came from. If it is non-functioning here, he is not. So whatever accident caused him to have that scarred look uh, has not happened yet. In, in the end of this issue, there's a uh, kind of a breakdown by Jim Lee, who I guess created Rogelzar's design with Bendis, because of course Jim Lee did the art on the Bendis story in Action 1000, and explains that when he is scarred, he has what I what I called and what Jim Lee also calls Swamp Thing nose, where it's that line that goes from the bridge of where your nose should be down to either as you can see me tracing it with my fingers on my face because podcasts are a visual medium um and then down to either side of his mouth uh if you don't know what swamp thing looks like by this point folks i, I can't help you but he has you know the upturned like almost gone nose in that here he has like his kind of squat you know smash nose the the description of him says he's supposed to look kind of like an orc and he does and he has this really ridiculously oversized battle axe. And Rogelzar is calling for the absolute elimination of the Kryptonian people. He says they the strong prey on the weak. The Kryptonians have based their entire planetary commerce around the kinds of science that demand supply they can only get from descending upon weaker planets. And, uh, and he says they have already done so and they're looking to expand and he says, if this continues, Kryptonians will pillage these planets and they in turn will be forced to turn on each other to survive. And he mentions both Zarnia, the planet that Lobo's from, the planet that Lobo is the sole survivor of, so this is obviously before that happened, and the Dominion, um, you know, the, the empire of the Dominators. Oh, I also forgot to mention, in this group, including the guy from Ran, the guy from Thanagar, the Guardian, the guy from Starfire's people. There's this lady who looks like she's made out of ice. It's a really cool look. It looks like imagine um, like Age of Apocalypse Iceman with the like the spiky ice hair and everything. Only you can see all of her facial features. Then she looks really neat. Um, and you know he's saying they have to be stopped. That war is not the answer because war will eat away at resources. Um, and he says we are if we are if we engage them and are to win the damage to our resources will be catastrophic uh krypton must be cleansed every last one of them and we go from there to metropolis in the present where and i i think that this might have been in a miscommunication somewhere on between bendis and the letterer perhaps because we have a guy who looks very much like a stripped-down version of the Batman villain Firefly. Only instead of wearing like a traditional costume, he's wearing like trousers and knee pads and combat boots, and almost just like a like a um, not a sport jacket, but um, you know, like the the jacket that that jocks get, you know, when they play on the football team. He's got that zipped up and he's got a tank on his back and you know two guns that attach to the tank and a gas mask. So this guy looks like he would be Firefly. But he is threatening a guy in his apartment and the guy is wearing just a bathrobe 
and the guy in this outfit is calling him Firefly, and the guy that he's calling Firefly is referring to this guy in the getup as Killer Moth. And this guy doesn't look at anything like Killer Moth. It's not Killer Moth's MO. So I think there was some kind of weird miscommunication on that. Um, I, I can't believe that Bendis is not more familiar with Batman lore than this. I mean, I'm not a Batman fan, and I know who, who Killer Moth and Firefly are and what they look like. So, I don't know. Let the go. But, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start calling this guy in the getup Firefly. And you'll see why when we get to it later. But Firefly is threatening this other guy, and the other guy is saying, well, I can't believe you would do this. That You would come here to his city. And Firefly is saying, I'm more mad at you than I am scared of him, and I'm going to kill you. And the guy in the bathroom is saying, you really need to take this way down. I, people that know better have told me that he listens for things like this. You're pulling all his triggers. He listens for yelling, and he listens to things like, where's the money? So I'm guessing the guy in the bathrobe you know, ripped off the guy that I'm calling Firefly. And Firefly is saying, look, I did my research before I came here. He's supposed to be in Tanzia or something. And there's just this very faint red and blue blur. And then the next page is a double splash of Superman having each of these guys by the collar, flying them up into the city. And uh, the guy that I'm calling Firefly is saying, don't drop me, don't drop me. And Super Saiyan, Superman says, don't worry, I don't do that. And the guy in the bathroom says, yeah, but Batman does it all the time. And Superman says, I know, but it's funny when he does it. Um, and... Superman asks, I have a question. What happened to guys like you being too afraid to set foot in Metropolis? And Firefly says, well, I, I thought that you know, this would be the last place you look. Therefore, it'd be safe. And Superman's like, wow, good plan. And Firefly says, thanks? Oh, wait, you're being sarcastic, aren't you? And Superman says, yeah. Now, my main gripe with Bendis is usually his dialogue. And it's when there is a very fast back and forth between two or more people in the same panel. And you get these almost overlapping word balloons. And it bothers me. Well, okay, it bothers me on a personal level because I, I usually don't read things in a, in a character voice. Just everything in my voice is my own voice saying it nine times out of ten. That's why I like audiobooks so much that I can kind of hear differences and speech patterns and whatever. And so it kind of gets lost in the jumble to me, and it gets hard to follow which balloon belongs to which person. This, however, is, is good. It's, it's kind of toned down. And then on the next page, we get what I think is the strongest element of this run, which is Superman's internal monologue. Bendis does a really good job getting how Superman thinks. So after he's dropped these two guys off um, with the police, I assume, we see him hovering outside the Daily Planet, and he's thinking there's a young woman, I'd say two miles away. She's playing her best friend a song she's been working on. It's a cover. I've heard it, the song before, but I can't place it. And then there's a la, 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 la. Her voice cracks in all the right spots as if there was no other possible way for the words to come out. It's just about the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. What is this song? And he just has this very 
calm, peaceful look on his face. Uh, Bendis has said in an interview that it's a Susie and the Banshee song. Susie and the Banshees song. I'm not familiar enough with Susie's work to guess which song that might be. I know Peekaboo, and that's about it. Um, and Kiss Them For Me. That That's it. Those are the only two Susie and the Banshee songs I know. Sorry, I'm, I'm not a fan of goth music. Um, I kind of wish I was, but I'm not. Um, but then, you know, you get this little bit of internal monologue about like, oh, I, I kind of feel bad that I'm eavesdropping, but I'm not trying to eavesdrop. I'm, I'm, I'm listening out for everything because I thought I heard a scream and I ran across this and I got distracted and he's like, oh crap, no, it's not a scream. It's a bunch of screams. And we get this series of three panels of him flying toward us, the reader in every panel, the, the background gets more and more blurred as he's flying until the third panel is just, it's almost like he's flying through, like if you've seen the movie or the TV show Stargate, the visual effect that they use for that, or like he's flying through hyperspace. It's really cool. And there's this huge apartment fire, and Superman's thinking that it's another electrical fire, and there's been a rash of them lately. So he grabs a woman who's halfway hanging out of an elevator. Um, someone tells him, uh, go to the seventh floor. Superman flies up. He goes into this apartment and he bro he blows a lot of the fire away and he sees a little girl hiding under a table holding two puppies and she pretty much says holy shit um only it's blurred out and he's like uh language please and she's like oh sorry and so he grabs her and he puts her in the cape and he flies her out of there and i, I appreciate this little bit of internal monologue i could get out of here faster than the fire could chase us but if i fly too fast i could hurt them um, and so he, he goes outside with the little girl, he gives her to her parents, he flies back up and he does. And again, I really, I, I appreciate the internal monologue on this because you wouldn't really exactly be able to tell what's going on just by the visual cues. But he says, staccato inhales of super breath should pull away most of the fire and smoke from the building and into and onto me. And there's not much on me to keep fire alive. And you see like the fire kind of being pulled out of the building and then just kind of dissipating around them. And it looks really cool. And there's this big swirl of fire up above the city uh, or up above the streets above this building where, where Superman's pulled all the fire together and it's just kind of fizzling out. And it's really cool. And uh, the next page, um, he goes into the building. He's looking around with this heat vision. And, um, and then we get this we get uh, dialogue, but it's not coming from anywhere nearby. It's, it's in uh, caption boxes. So it tells us that it's somewhere off panel. It says, Dad, what is that? And then someone says, Clark. And then someone says, Dad, what is that? So and it, there's nothing around that indicates that this is being said anywhere near him. So this is a memory that he's having. He's thinking about this while he is looking around this building. And just then a fire person comes up, a firefighter comes up behind him and they've got all their gear on and a mask and the helmet. And, you know, and they say, you know, hey, good job on the fire. Um, the firefighter says it's arson and Superman asks, how can you tell? And they say, well, I, I, it's, you can just tell once you've, once you've been in this business long enough, you can tell. Um, and there's also too many fires and the patterns are too um, structured to be random. And the firefighter takes off their hat and their mask, and it's a lady with long red hair. 
And she says she is the new Deputy Fire Chief, Melanie Moore. And uh, she just transferred in from Coast City. And um, and there's a fun little bit of banter about, like, do you want a job? And he's like, well, I have a job, actually, a couple of them. And um, Superman asked if, he, if she can think of a motive behind all that. And she said, well, I just don't have enough information to go on yet. But, um, and, you know... He says, but if you think it's some somehow something, and she says, is there something worse than lighting a building full of people on fire? And he says, well, I have a friend with the Daily Planet who would, you know, who would really appreciate this story and will run with it and get the word out. She says that would be nice. She jokes it. She jokingly asks if she's taller than Wonder Woman, and Superman says that she is, which I don't believe, but I think he's just being nice. And Superman says, you know what? I recently dropped off an arson-themed criminal. Calls himself Firefly. Now, again, I know that the guy in the bathrobe was supposed to be Firefly, but the other guy looks like how Firefly should look. So I firmly believe that that was just a mis miscommunication on who was supposed to be who in that dialogue. But um, uh, Superman says, you know, if you have any information that would help with the story, just call Clark Kent. He gets out, flies away. And Melody says, nice to meet you, Superman, with a long string of O's and U's. And then he just kind of looks back over his shoulder as she flies away. And she looks very sheepish. She's like, oh, super hearing. I'm so dumb. And then she covers her mouth again and goes, stupid. Which is cute. And again, my main gripe with Bendis is usually his dialogue. But so far, it's really good. So I no complaints so far. Um. We go back to the past where we see that Rogolzar is hanging out on some alien planet. Now, this might still be Krypton, but I don't think so. I think this is supposed to be some other alien planet, and he's fighting some large, monstrous creature from the planet. And he goes back to this cave where he's been living, and there is Appa Ali Apsa from the Guardians. Uh, kind of waiting for him it's it's a projection of apsa but you know it's there and um you know and rogozar says yes i live her on this harsh planet to train my body and my mind because that is what is most important between fights so i don't like rogozar um i think he is a very one-dimensional bad guy um which in certain cases kind of works, like Doomsday. Doomsday worked at the time because you just needed an unstoppable force. And I think if you, if Jurgens and company had tried to give Doomsday more personality than he had at the time, it would not have come across as well as it did. I don't think Rogolzar really works because he's an unstoppable force. But he's also an unstoppable force who has kind of, um, I don't know, like stereotypical uh, bad guy dialogue. You know, I, I don't know. It's just, Rogozar is one of the, in my opinion, the, the, down, the downsides of, of Bendis' run in general. Um, I think it kind of Rogozar is almost more of a MacGuffin as we get into this series. 
And I think from that point of view, it's okay. The more we have to have one-on-ones with, with Rogals are, though, I think the, the less effective he is. Um, but Ali, uh, Apa Ali Apsa has come to inform Rogol Zar that uh, his petition to this council has been heard and considered and has decided that your judgment in this matter is clouded by your personal history. Therefore, their answer is no. And they say, well, we, you know, we don't want you to think that we're dismissing you personally. We honor you for all you've done for the galaxy and yada, yada. But he says, but the Kryptonians have not acted with aggression toward anyone. They have to, you know, either rise or fall of their own accord. And Rogolzar acts like he knows more than this council does. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. To this day, I'm not entirely certain what Rogolzar's motivation is. I'm hoping that by going through this run, with a fine-tooth comb, I'll be able to actually figure it out. So, you know, that's another upside with doing this run. It's like, maybe I'll get more out of this than I had previously. The first time I read through it, I thought it was fine. Second time I read through it, I'm like, eh. You know, I'm I'm hopeful now that I, I kind of get more out of it than I had previously, because I, I do tend to skim when I kind of lose interest in stuff. But, um... You know, Rogozar accuses the council of having been, you know, paid off by the Kryptonians, but the Guardian just kind of, you know, kind of cancels his holographic projection, and we get a splash page of Rogozar just kind of kneeling down in despair and frustration in his cave. But from there, we go back to present-day Metropolis, where we see a streak of red and blue Zoom into a window of the Daily Planet, and in the next panel, Clark Kent is sitting at his desk, typing up his exclusive report about the arson. Um, Perry White comes up behind him with a someone we will get introduced to soon, but who is first shown here, who is a a uh, a lovely young woman who is being added to the Daily Planet staff. Uh, but he does not introduce her at this time. Um, but we see, you know, after Perry kind of gives Clark a bit of a hard time, it's like, Ikes, you know, what what great new amazing thing do you have for me, Kent? Well, I've got this article about arson, Perry. Arson? I expected something more amazing than that. Well, Superman was there. Okay, that'll do. And Perry goes into his office where where, where Lois is waiting for him with her arms crossed and smiling. And Clark looks from uh, Lois down to the picture of her, of, hmm, one second. Interesting. Um, Okay, I think that's supposed to be Lois in the office. Given what we're going to be seeing coming up, I'm not entirely certain that is what it is. It looks like Lois is hanging out in Perry's office, but maybe I'm interpreting that wrong, or maybe that was a gap. But anyway, that's not important right now. What's important is that Clark looks down at this photo of Lois and John on his desk, 
and uh, that takes him back to a recent memory of where John was in his bedroom complaining that he has gone through a growth spurt and now his jeans and his hoodie that he wears as Superboy are now too small. And uh, he said, well, did you talk to your mom about this? And John says, mom says she has no time to fix it right now and that I should, and I quote, join the legion of kids that are old enough to fix their own problems, which Lois says she meant as a joke. She said it was much funnier when I said it. Uh, Lois is on the phone about to get the vice president to admit his previously undisclosed financial stakes in Star Labs overseas operations. But um, just then a bright light shines in from behind them, which is where we get John saying, Dad, what is that? And Lois saying Clark, which is the dialogue from his memory. And the next page is two panels, both of Clark shielding Lois and John. And then in the next page, it's the next panel is the same thing, only faded out. And then there is a, a big blank white field where John is reiterating, Dad, what is that? And Lois saying Clark which is where the issue ends. Now, knowing what I know of this series and what's to come, everything that's happened more or less makes sense. Again, the thing with where, where I think, hmm, okay, let me rephrase this. I'm guessing from what I remember of what's coming that that wasn't really Lois in Perry's office. Um, and I could be wrong. I could, again, I could be remembering this completely different. But beyond that, everything else makes sense. The whole thing with the dialogue and Rogel's are so far and the bright white light, it all makes sense. But I would have to say that if I were reading this in a bubble, and if I had to wait, if I had to wait a week to read it again, or to read the next issue, I'd be going, what just happened? So, in hindsight, I like it. If I'm reading in a bubble, I would be confused. If you are, if you have not read it yet, and <laughs> you are listening to my coverage of it before you've read it, I apologize if you are confused. I think it's supposed to be intentionally confusing. It's supposed to make you go, wait, what just happened? Okay, no, I can't wait for the next issue to find out what's going on that could be a good thing that could be a bad thing depending on your perspective but overall i do like this issue i don't have a major problem with it and like i said i'm looking forward to continuing to talk to you guys about it but that is the end of this comic book that is the end of our comic book coverage that is not the end of the episode altogether because i'll be right back to wrap everything up stay tuned And that does it for episode 94 of Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast. If you enjoyed this show, I'd love it if you could give me a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. It would help more people find the show, and that would be wonderful. Um, it would also be great if you could follow me on social media. You can find me on Instagram and Blue Sky, but I still do the majority of my shenanigans over on Twitter, which I refuse to call X. And you can find me in all those places by searching for Truth, Justice, and Hope on those platforms. Also, if you'd like to contact me directly, you can do so 
by emailing me at truthjusticeandhope at gmail.com. Um, just a, a note, um, I, I am no longer contributing to my Patreon site. I, just, I simply do not have the time to do that anymore. The site is still up. If you are currently a member and you'd like to remain a member, um, you're welcome to do so. If you would like to subscribe to it, um, you're welcome to do so. Um, but just be advised, I am not putting up new content at this time. I may get back to it sometime in the near future once my schedule clears up a little bit. But right now, it is not in the cards. However, what is in the cards for the near future is my continued coverage of Justice League No Justice. And once we finish that, we will, of course, jump into the ongoing Justice League uh, series written uh, initially by Scott Snyder. I will continue covering Bendis' Man of Steel after we finish that. We'll, of course, go into the ongoing eponymous, excuse me, Superman book and Action Comics. We'll be talking about the final episode of New Superman in the Justice League of China pretty soon. And we will also be continuing our discussion of Doomsday Clock pretty soon. Um, and again, for uh, we have issue five of that series coming up. Um, and again, just for issues five and six, it'll just be a very brief overview until Superman actually enters the miniseries with issue seven. But uh, again, all that is coming up in the near future. And I am looking forward to talking about all of that stuff with you guys. But until then, remember to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love you.